0: My name's Luke. Today I'm going to be reading the Bible. The first reading will come from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, Prince of Peace. The, domin- <laughs> the dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign over the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord's armies will accomplish this. The second reading will come from Luke chapter 1 verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, for Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she is conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her, who has been called childless for nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her.
1: Thanks, Luke. It's been great to have our team serving us so well, praying and reading the Bible for us. My is Greg, one of the ministers here at OEC, minister at church at 4. I have any handouts, um, there's an outline of the talk on the inside, um, just beside the book card. So if you'd like to get that out, just to see where we're going. Uh, you can take notes there. Please give your Bibles open to Luke chapter One uh, that we just read. Uh, any other passages will come up on the screen. Well, every day the sun gets up. Every day it seems like we press and play and the day just goes on. Another day of work, another day of rest, of play in school, in university, whatever you do. Another day spinning around the sun. Well, some days are different, aren't they? There's some days when everything Changes. I'm going to give you a date and I want you to try and work out what it is that happened on this date that changed everything. There's the first one 11th of September 2001. The easiest one. What happened then? The terrorist attacks, that's right. The terrorist attacks in New York and the Pentagon, where 2,993 people died as passenger deaths were common here and used as missiles. This event not only changed everything for the families that were impacted directly by this horrific event, it changed world politics And the following wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, how did How world change that day? Here's another day. 23rd of October, 1879. Now if anyone gets this one, it's going to be a true white bulb the moment. There's a, guess, there's a hint for it. Can anybody guess what that was? Edison, that's exactly right. Well done, I'm impressed. That was the day that Thomas Edison, uh, first, his first incandescent light bulb, stayed lit for 14 and a half hours. Imagine, all your light bulb just made a lit that long. But it was a day that marked the beginning of the electrical age. And that changed our world profoundly. After the light bulb, Edison and his mates and those up it would invent what would become the entire electrical system that is needed to power our homes. Dynamos and wires and fuses and switches and the electrical power system that was born would go on to revolutionise our world. Actually, revolutionise our globe. That's what I meant to say. Anyway, um, one last date, and um, what was said that changed the world in a way, completely revolutionised the world of one particular person. That date, 26 26th of June, 1997. What happened that, that day? want to take a guess? I don't want one of my kids, no. Here it is. There was a day that Burnsbury first published a book called The Philosopher's Stone. During the first run of just 5,650 books. Before that day, J.K. Rowling was a struggling, depressed, desperately poor single mother who was told, you'll never make any money out of children's books. That's what the publisher said. In the end, his words, overnight just about J.K. Rowling becomes a household name Harry Potter changed the world of of children's books forever. We've been working our way through the beginning of Luke's gospel pattern the last few weeks and for Luke what happened in the back corner of a forgotten part of the Roman Empire changed the world. It changed him and he wrote this account of the life that birth and death and resurrection of Jesus because he knew that this was the one event that truly and eternally changes everything and the whole world needed to know and here we are but before it changed the world it changed the life of a poor young woman in Galilee and as we look at that day that her world changed we'll need to ask a very important question and that is has what happened that day Change in us as a change in our world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this part We thank you for the wonder that we read this. And as we do, we come to know you. We pray that you work by your spirit to change us in this day. Amen. So our story begins Luke 1 verse 27, where we meet this young woman in a t- small town, in Nazareth Galilee, a town with a reputation of that Later become a follower of Jesus, said this about Nazareth. He said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That was their reputation. So poor Jewish cousins from the north, suffering under Roman rule, trying to eat out of a living as best as they can. But this Jewish house that they brought into, there's excitement, there's
0: there's planning.
1: Mary's engaged to a man called Joseph. The wedding plans are well underway, the invitation's going out, most likely. Young couple border plans, living an ordinary life, ordinary hopes and dreams and then the day comes that everything changes. A heavenly messenger invades the ordinary humble Jewish life. a message from Yahweh the God and Father, greetings favourite woman, the Lord is with you. Now she didn't wake up that morning expecting to see that and hear that. Mary quite understandably, is taken aback. Deeply troubled, says. In shock. Her mind is swimming to questions and her jaws on the floor. In fact, but not very scared. Verse 30, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. That's the second time Gabriel has said that Mary has favour with God. What does the like need? Well, the idea that she is favoured. Is not because she's particularly Godly, although she may be. She's not the sinless mother of God, the Son. She's a sinner like everybody else. In fact, later on, verse 47, she describes herself as someone who has been saved by God. But Mary's favor because of what God has chosen to do through her. Birth. And you see this in verse 31. Now listen you will conceive a new birth, your son, and you will name him. Jesus. He will be great and be called the son of the most High, And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. Mary is faithful, because God has chosen her to be the one who will bring his eternal chosen king, his son, the world. It is not what he has done that makes them faithful, but what God will God's chosen ordinary, young, engaged Mary to bring fulfillment his plan to bring his chosen king to the whole world. And the person who normally gets the right to name a child is the parent of a child, isn't it? And that's taken away from Mary, isn't it? As it was taken away from Elizabeth and Zechariah, who were told to name their boy John. Why? Why is this right taken away from them? Responsibility really because God is doing something big. These two boys are different, set apart from before birth for an eternal work. Mary's child is God's son, and she is to call him Jesus. Luke doesn't tell us what that may mean, but what it does mean really is the Lord is salvation. God's going to bring about a great salvation through the life, through the death of this child. And when Gabriel speaks of this child as the king in the line of David, he speaks about promises made by God. One of which we read earlier in Isaiah 9. To bring a king like the world had never seen, a king who would fulfill God's purpose for the world, a king who would reign and bring righteousness and justice forever. These promises were promises that any faithful Israelite would pray every year, not every week. There was a hope of the world change when God's people no Longer be oppressed when justice and peace wouldn't just be in empty hopes and platitudes, but external realities. Here is just one of the promises I read earlier. Let's read it again Isaiah 9, verses 67. This is spoken 700 years before Gabriel confronts Mary. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, the dominion will be vast and as prosperity will never end, he will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom, he will establish and sustain with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. We'll reflect more on how the coming of this one will change everything forever, but let's continue to stay with Mary for the moment and see how it changes. As I look at verse 34, Mary is a Understandably so, uh, she's heard the words of Gabriel this time. She actually heard, heard Gabriel this time and understood the words, understood the message from Yahweh that God has given to her, But it all just seems, well, a little bit, far from it. had swimming with questions, so she asked the obvious this one. Gabriel has said she will conceive and give birth to a son, but she hasn't had sexual relations with anything. How can this happen? Gabriel answers essentially by saying that Mary will be made pregnant directly by the power of God. The power of the Most High will overshadow says Gabriel. It's a strange term that comes up one more time in Luke chapter 9, where the presence of Yahweh appears in the form of a cloud and envelops Jesus and Peter and James and John as Jesus is transfigured before them. It's a way of referring to powerful, presence of the living God. And so Gabriel continues then to wax lyrical about this son who will be born through Mary. Verse 35, he's a holy one. Set apart this, yes, human, truly so, but set apart by the Father God's chosen. He'll be called the son of God. This is really another way of saying he'll be God's chosen king which we've already seen. And have a look at Mary's response verse 38. Mary says this, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done according to your word. A beautiful word, She sees herself as the Lord's servant. She basically says, well, let this?" see. She's not giving permission for God to do this. God wasn't asking
0: for permission.
1: He simply is saying through David, Accepts what God has said and trusts her future to God, satisfied and played her part in God's eternal plan. Now, keep in mind what this will mean for her. She's got to go and tell Joseph, she's got to go and tell the parents. Before long, people are going to be asking questions, awkward questions, and she's going to have to give awkward answers. That'll bring a similar response to the one that she gave, the angel gave. But unlike her, many will come to a very different conclusion. You can see it. Doubt her purity, doubt the word, doubt of her honesty, doubt in her character. That's what I've done. She knows this is what life is going to be confusing and hard and difficult. This changes everything. J.K. Rowland's life as a, as a poor, destitute, single mum, changed overnight on the 26th of June 1997. Her life would never be the same after that. She was thrust into the spotlight and become a household name. But for J.K. Rowland, that was something she was pursuing. Life was important. Success was important, Of course, she had no idea how deep this kept. But she worked for him and worked hard for him to marry. This is all happening. Is an ordinary young woman engaged with an ordinary, unassuming carpenter, but God had different ideas. She will become the mother of His eternal chosen King, and she willingly accepts that part in God's eternal work. That's something we'll come back to think about how we might respond to this amazing work of God. Messages of Gabriel to Mary changed her world forever, but it didn't just change her world, it changed the whole world. What happened this day to Mary changed all humanity for all time. As we've already seen, as Peter showed us. In fact, by the time we get this passage, we've already been told that there's big things afoot, that things huge are about to happen. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Luke has already made clear that he writes about the fulfillment of all that God has chosen and promised to the scriptures. What's unfolding as we continue to read Luke is nothing less than the fulfillment of everything God has planned from the creation of the world. The Old Testament is full of the promises of God. And when the Old Testament ends at Malachi, it ends unfinished, with so many loose ends and unresolved tensions. God promised to crush Satan and defeat the one who brought evil into this world. God promised to bring blessing to the nations instead of curses. God promised to change the hearts of His people. They would obey. And we've seen God promise to send an eternal kingdom reign forever that would bring justice and righteousness. And at the end of the Old Testament, all these promises left unfulfilled. Loose ends, A bit like stopping at book two for all of the reasons. Incomplete. Or you know, we'll halfway through an episode of Doctor Who, or halfway through an episode of Bluey, as if you would do that. Week one is the month we've got in some of those with loose threads that were left hanging at the end of the Old Testament, and bring us them together. Begins to fulfil them in ways that no one could have guessed, in a way that we both shocked and us. And offend and surprise. Another thing that shows you something big is going on is the pregnancies that we see happening in chapter one. Elizabeth is pregnant with John. And whenever you see a miraculous birth story in the Bible, you know something big is about to happen. That Ape and Sarah with Isaac, and Hannah and Eli with Samuel. And in this chapter, we get to in a Something big is up. The indication that something huge is unfolding that's easy to miss in this chapter is what Gabriel says at the beginning of verse 32. It's easy to just brush across. And that is where Gabriel says that this one will be great. Now, while it's true that John was called great in verse 15 when his coming was announced to Zechariah, as the story unfolds, as you get to chapter 3, you see that the greatness of John is far from the the greatness of the John 3.16, 16, the great man John said this about Jesus One more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie of the strap of the sandals. There were two men in the Old Testament who were described by God as men who had great names. Who were they? Abraham and David. Two men God made astounding promises to. Firstly, Abraham. Genesis 12, God promised him. I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Before this promise to Abraham the stage for the fulfillment of all God's purposes for his world was the whole earth, from Genesis 3 to Genesis 11, but from this promise to Abraham on, the way he going to fulfill his plans, his purposes for the whole of creation will be through the descendants of Abraham. Through the nation that He would bless, that would come from Abraham, that would come from Abraham's family. That's why the rest of the Old Testament narrows down and focuses on this one nation, and the way that would works for them to bring blessing to the whole world. Yeah. Secondly, David, Samuel 7, God promises him this. He says, "I'll make a great name for you." Sounds familiar, like that of the greatest on the earth. I will designate a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. In this promise of the plans of God further narrow down for the whole world to Abraham's line, to David's line. A king from David's line. He's still at work to reverse the curse of Genesis 3. He's still at work to do it through the nation of Israel, Abraham's descendants, but the way he will do this through a king of the line of David, two great men, two great moments, two great promises in God's unfolding plan and now we have a third great man, greater than Abraham, greater than David, the next greatest moment in God's unfolding plan to be blessed with the whole world and hope that humanity, humanity in the face of sin. You see this moment, this day changes everything. And this is the reason Luke was so determined to the hard work of a historian to get his facts straight. Let us hear the words of eyewitnesses, and see the work of Jesus, because what happens here is monumental. Everything gets turned upside down in this moment. Imagine a world without electricity. Imagine a world where Edison had never worked out how to harness the simple and astounding power of the flow of electrons through wire. The discovery turns the world in ways that even Edison could not have imagined. For well, the coming of Jesus is much bigger than electricity. This is redefined how we understand love as something that at the core involves self-sacrifice. This is redefined how we understand forgiveness, peace, reconciliation. And the plans of God for the whole creation have been fulfilled in the person of Jesus to bring blessing and peace and life to a world has lost in sin and death brokenness and brokenness in purpose. Call through the coming of this child Jesus into the world. Look around, die in that place. Bring forgiveness of sin once and for all and the blessing to the world. From this one man the world will change. People would be made fit for heaven and acceptable before God, and those people would then be changed by His Word and by the Holy Spirit people who love, serve, give, and forgive like Jesus does. Gabriel told Mary that God was to be something that would turn the world upside down. It was a day that changed everything for her, that put her plans on hold. She had no idea what lay in heaven, but she knew that God would be at work to this to fulfill His forever promise for bring eternal Things will never be the same. And verse 38 she said her part is great world, and trusted that God what to come. What God told Mary would not just change her world, but would change everything for the whole of humanity. The, the question we need to ask is has it changed our world? hasn't changed us. Similarly, this side of the fulfillment of God's plans and promises and purpose purposes of being fulfilled in Jesus. In a time when death has been defeated, when eternal hope has been won, when relationship with God has been restored and available to all who put their trust in Jesus. But how has that astounding work of God changed us? It's an important question to right? One of the wonderful privileges that Karina and I have is to help. The uni ministry of CSU I'll tell you a story about one student. At the end of 2022, so last year, there was this guy who was coming to the group, totally regularly. He wasn't a Christian, grew up in a family uh, with an openly Buddhist mum and an estranged father who was convinced of the agnostic. We talked talk a number of times about Jesus, his death, resurrection, the problem of sin. There were a number of questions that kept on coming up. was whether the accounts of the life, and death, and resurrection of Jesus could be trusted. I often to read the Bible again, multiple times, again and again. And he said no. Okay. Yeah. At the end of the year, I asked him what he thought would help him as he continued to investigate Jesus. Again, I often to read the Bible with him over Zoom this time, and again he said no. Seeing so he kept asking about the evidence of whether Jesus is true or not, I suggested there were two things I thought would be helpful. One, read one of the Gospels, so I gave the Gospel of Mark. Another was a book by historian John Nixon called Investigating Christianity, a crack. That simply yet thoroughly unpacks why it is we can trust the New Testament account of the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. So March this year, the students returned, four months off. I chatted with this student again, asked him what he was thinking, how his search and his um, investigation produced going. He talked about reading the Gospel of Mark and how Jesus now made sense of life. He said that it was as if he was, Jesus spoke to him, here and now, in the issues that we face. I asked him about all these questions about whether Jesus was true or not. And what he thought about investigating Jesus, he said he read the book. The book. What it said made sense, but as he read the Gospels, as he got to know Jesus, the questions he had just didn't seem that important. Yeah? He believed the evidence the historicity of what Jesus had said. He said the resurrection but what really struck me was meeting the that Jesus we see in the pages of scripture. This still wouldn't mean to read the Bible with me. But got used to this answer, no. Uh, but we got together every now and then to chat about his new trust and news of the problem of sin, the wonder of what Jesus had done. He had his Bible study every week. We started reading the Bible almost every day, praying every night, the world changed. God turned his world upside down. And that was the beginning of the show. Through the year, he had a mini conference, a five day conference, a deep dive into the topic of resurrection. This was great. There's no way he would have gone to that conference. But there he was, connected with other Christians, talking about Jesus, the Jesus he knows the At the end of the Bible study, Karen and I noticed he was beginning to serve. and Look out to the people around him. More evidence of a life change for everyone coming to Jesus. I look forward to seeing how God continues that work when I see him again twenty twenty-four. you see, Jesus has come and everything has changed. And there's so many people in the world living as if nothing has changed at all. As if the coming of the Son of God into the world was irrelevant, as if as if the Son of God died on the cross was inconsequential. As if death hasn't been freedom. Is that new? But it might be like my friend like at uni last year, working things out, asking questions, sending answers, creating working out whether it's all true or not. If that's it, let me encourage you, let me challenge you. Take the gospel. Take it home, read it, and see how everyone who was confronted with this pain was impacted. How he changed everything. How his death changed everything. How his resurrection changed everything. How those who trusted him. Had their worlds turned upside down in ways that they were overjoyed by. In ways that meant they would never be the same again. I mean, Jesus in the page of the Scripture and see, like my friend, it really is worth following. Because if what this book, what the Bible says that Jesus is true, to live as if changed would be like living in a world as if there is no electricity. maybe for many of us here the person of Jesus has become so familiar that we've forgotten how the coming of Jesus should change everything the coming of Jesus should change our morning routine, our banking accounts, the people we love how we love them we should love all the way we forgive give change what we see the world change what we see people when we finish with these words in 2 Corinthians 5 and he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective yet now we no longer know him in that way. Therefore if anyone is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Let me finish with this one question. How will it come Jesus, change what you do this morning. What sacrifice would you make to show that Jesus has changed everything? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Mary. We thank you for the way that she set